Um, as Stuart mentioned, you know, we've been in Belize for, we're in our eighth year now. How many of you guys know where Belize is? If I got out a map with no, uh, no, no names on it. All right, I see one hand that kind of went down. Um, <laughs> Belize is the first country south of Mexico on the Caribbean side. And maybe you guys have watched House Hunters International, you know, and um, you see these million-dollar houses and on these little tropical islands with sandy beaches and palm trees. You know, that, that's Belize, but, but in reality, that's worlds away from where we're at. Sort of a little background information. The whole country of Belize only has 300,000 people, which is crazy because it's about the size of Israel, which has like 12 million or something. And so it's a really sparsely populated country. And within that, there's, there's a huge amount of diversity. The main, the main um, people group are the Creole people, which you saw mostly in there. Um, they're black. They're a mixture of, of the descendants of slaves and their English and Irish slave masters. And then there's another black group called the Garifuna. Then um, after slavery was abolished, there's a, um, the English started bringing over indentured servants from India. And they're called the Cooley people. And then there's two, there's two Hispanic groups in Belize. There's the Belizean Hispanics who mostly don't speak Spanish. They, they speak Creole, the language you guys heard them speaking. Um, and they, they're culturally ethnic, or, um, you know, the, the, the food they eat, everything, they're, they're Creole. And then there's the Hispanic people who have come from, from Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras and Nicaraguan who have migrated in. There's three Mayan groups in Belize, the Quechi Maya, the Maya Mokpan, and the Yucatec Maya. There's, um, you'll be out in the country, and you'll see a horse and buggy go by, and a old white guy in a long beard and homemade pants. There's a bunch of Mennonites there. There's um, Chinese. There's Taiwanese. There's all these East Indians who have just recently come over and they sell all the appliances. There's Lebanese that run all the clothes stores. So it's a, it's a very diverse culture. And the whole country, as I said, it's got about 300,000 people. And Belize City has about 120,000 people. And um, Belize City is really the, the economic and the cultural capital of the country. It's not the political capital, but, but everything that happens, happens in Belize City. And as you probably picked up from the video, it's a, it's a very, very inner city type city. The whole city, with exception of maybe just a couple blocks, is really, a, it's a ghetto. And um, last year I read that Belize City was awarded the prestigious title of being the murder capital of the world for cities its size. I watched recently this documentary on gangs in Belize, and it said the Belize city is the sixth most likely place in the world to die of a gunshot wound. And what's more than that even, not only is this like the, the worst city, but where our church is, it's literally in the worst spot. <laughs> I didn't pick it. I didn't plan it that way. But the church is literally in the worst spot in the city. There's another area called George Street. We're on Crawl Road and George Street, and they're, they're sort of tied for, for, for where's the word. You know, one month, more people get killed there. The next month, it's kind of over in our area. And so it's, it's all this stuff going on. Within um, the last year or so, within like a block and a half of our church, three grenades have gone off. And um, one of them, we were having a youth event out there, and the first one, and we, we, we felt the, you know, the percussion shock from it. And another one was just like a half a block away. We had another one go off right next to our house, maybe a football field and a half away. And I mean, it sounded like, I can't even explain how, how loud that was. We have, we have in our little Sunday school room, we have bullet holes in it. A guy got shot to death right in our churchyard about probably two months ago. 
I was, um, it was Wednesday night, and we're getting ready for our midweek service just like this. And um, there's a, a young lady who was running the children's ministry, and we were out in the churchyard. We were just kind of sitting there, leaning against the fence, talking. And um, right in front of the church, there's a, there's a football soccer field. And we watch on the other side of the soccer field, this truck pull up. This guy jumps out, pop, 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 shoots a guy, pops back in the truck and drives away, right before church. And we're kind of, well, you know, that happens. So we went back in, we're finishing up church, and I was teaching on um, Colossians. And we're finishing up the book, and it's talking about Paul's talking about, you know, we, we need to redeem the time. And right as I was, I was, I was kind of getting into it, it was the point of the message, you know, and we need to redeem the time. And I was, I was, I was bringing the word, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. Like from here to the front door, a, a, a rogue cop with a shotgun shot a guy two times through his windshield in the face. A guy who didn't do anything wrong. It was, it was crazy. And so this is, this is what Belize City is like, where we're at especially. And, um, and it's, it's kind of stressful sometimes. But despite all that, despite all the craziness, despite all the, all the crime, all the darkness, man, God is amazing. And he's doing amazing things in, the, in some of the churches in Belize City. Not just our church, but a, a lot of different churches. And our church in particular in Port Loyola Calvary Chapel, man, we have... We have tons of young kids coming. You know, we have sometimes, our, our Sunday school room is 16 feet by 20 feet. And sometimes we have 60 kids and that little teeny room in there. And we have, and on, a, on a big night at youth group, we might have, you know, 50 high school and college kids. And that's, for Belize City anyway, that's huge. And, um, and so we have all these young people, and, and they're not just coming to church, but I mean, they, they are the church. They, they it's... One, actually now two, two kids on the worship team have graduated high school. The rest are all still in high school. All the children's ministry, the church cleaning, all that stuff. It's all done by high school and college kids. And so the Lord is really, he's at work in these kids' lives. We've um, started the last couple of years going on mission trips. And um, our first couple of mission trips, we went out to the bush. We went out to um, this village called Dolores. And it's in southern Belize. And you drive about six hours. And that's literally 40 miles off this dirt road. It's so far out that the people, they, they illegally cross this river and go shopping in Guatemala. And um, so we go way out there, and it's, it's hilarious because we have all these tough inner-city kids, and they're out there in the bush, and they won't even go outside the little hut that we're sleeping in. They're, they're, they're terrified. You know, there's bullets flying all around them. They don't even care. But they think a jaguar is going to take them as soon as they step outside. And... Um, so it's been cool. And, and the last couple of years, we, we've been going to this new village. It's a, um, a Garifuna village. And I, I kind of mentioned Garifuna before. They're, they're a separate black group. They're, um, what they were was a, um, there was a slave ship that crashed in St. Vincent in the 1700s. And the slaves, they mixed with the Arawak and the Carib Indians. And they formed their own culture and their own language. And the, um, down the road, the British said, you know what? St. Vincent's nice. We like it. You know, we want to put our little palm trees up there and our little hammocks and stuff. So, so they deported all the Garifuna people, and they sent them on little canoes. And, and they, they crossed the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea in their little canoes and landed in Honduras and, and worked their way up to Belize. And they're, they're totally separate from the Creole people, but, um, and, and they live in their own villages. And so we started doing ministry in this, in this Garifuna village called Sambite. And um, Easter before last... We, um, we met this little girl down there named Danilin, and she was 12 years old at the time. And um, she was coming to our vacation Bible school and stuff, and it turns out that she was from Belize City, and not too far from where our church is. So she started coming to church, which was kind of cool, some fruit from our, you know, our, our mission trip. But she invited her niece, actually her, yeah, her niece, who was her same age, to come. And um, 
that's where the trouble kind of began. Her, her niece invited like 20 kids. And so we've got this huge, we, we, the church van pulls up and there's like this swarm. And I have to get, stop, stop, stop. And I have to make sure they get in orderly. You know, these kids are, are they're totally unhousebroken. And they'll, when they, and, and it's mostly girls. And there'll be fist fights in the church van. You know, and they'll be fighting, and they'll be, they'll be kicking each other, you know. And, and it's crazy, all the stuff that's going on. But, but over the two years that we've had these girls, it's just been amazing seeing the Lord just, just changing them. You know, and sometimes I, I just want to smack them in the head a little bit. But, but God's at work in their lives. And so last year we went down, this past Easter, we went down on our second mission trip to this village. And, um, and we kind of did the same thing, vacation Bible school and some evening outreaches. But we kind of shifted a little bit. And we, and we, we finished up our, our, our ministry earlier so that our group could go down to the beach afterwards and just kind of have some, have some devotions and stuff. And as we were doing that over the week, a couple of the local kids who were like in high school, college age, they started coming. And then a couple days later, more and more. And the last night, there was like 20 of them. Probably like 15 of them. 20 might be an exaggeration. But there's about 15 of them. And, um, and, and I, I just gave a little gospel message. And they all came to the Lord. And, and what ended up happening was through this little mission trip that we went on, a church started down there. And it wasn't what we intended to do at all. We didn't plan on going and starting a church. We were just, we were just doing a little vacation Bible school. But God had other plans. And... Um, as it happens, there was, a, um, there was a Calvary Chapel missionary who had just moved there. And he, was, he lived in that village, but his ministry was in the next village up. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's half locals and half, half foreigners. And so his church that he has on Sunday mornings is all old, retired white people. His whole church is all, you know, I don't think there's anybody under 50 at church. And so he was praying about starting a church in his own village where he was at. And then we came down here and the Lord just moved and, and started this church and now there's like 50 kids coming to this thing, and, um, and God is just moving. They're excited. They're on fire. And so it's, it's, just, it's cool seeing the things that the Lord is doing down there. And, um, you know, as, as, as all missionaries do, we went down with the intention of, of raising up locals and then, you know, turning the church body over. And, and we're in the process of that. We have a guy who's been with us for about six years now, and um, he's a... He's a great assistant pastor. We were actually, we were planning on coming home at the end of this year. And um, we were kind of making plans and we were, we were okay, Lord, where, where do you want us to go next? And about seven months ago, we got, a, we got a phone call. And we'd looked previously into adopting a baby down there or maybe doing foster care. And we got a phone call asking if we wanted to do this um, you know, permanent placement foster to adopt. And we got this little Belizean boy named Isaiah. And um, we got this little boy and he was two months old at the time and and we got him, and um, he, was, he was just severely malnourished. He was, he was covered in scabies, and, and that's a lot of fun. You know, we all had to get treated for scabies and stuff. But I heard through the grapevine that, that baby Isaiah, the social worker, had found him in an oven. His mom had kind of gone crazy, and, and, just, and it was just a sad thing. And, um, you know, the instant that, that we got this little boy, you know, our, our hearts were just knit to him. And, um, and so right now we're still in the foster stage, praying that the adoption will go through. But God has a funny way of wrecking our plans, doesn't he? And we were planning on coming home and not really knowing what we were doing. And um, God said, no, you're not. Not, not yet anyway. And, and we still feel like we're supposed to turn the church over to local leadership. And so we're kind of, for the last few months we've been praying, oh, Lord, 
What do you want us to do? I mean, we're here, but, but, but we're not going to be pastoring the church. And, um, and so the Lord's given us a little bit of vision. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to start a kind of an in-depth discipleship program with five or six of the young men down there. It's sort of a, a school of ministry type thing. It's really hard for kids to get visas to come up to Bible college here, and it's really expensive. So we said, well, why don't we just kind of try doing it down there? I mean, the reality is, with most of the boys that are in our church, and they're going to be pastors or in prison. I mean, those are their options. I was watching one of the, the slides up there. I was looking at three of the boys up there. And the, 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 the shot was taken about three years ago, and I was looking at it. And two of them are in ministry, and one of them's in prison. You know, and, and that's the reality of it. And so we want to kind of pull these boys aside and just really, over a year or two period, just, just really invest in them. You know, we're going to meet a few days a week, and it's really going to be a, a Bible college type thing. And um, sort of at the same time, I've been talking a little bit with some of our church leaders about, about starting a Bible study across town on Sunday nights. And just seeing, seeing what the Lord wants to do with that. Seeing if maybe that will develop into another church. And so it's, it seems like we're going, to be, we're going to be raising up these new leaders, these new ministry leaders, at the same time starting this new ministry. And it just seems like a good fit. You know, they're, they're learning to teach, and there's going to be people who, who need to be taught. And so it's exciting, and it's a little bit scary. You know, I don't really know. It's kind of a new thing, the way we're doing this, raising up leaders in the church at the same time. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. The whole thing might, it might go down in flames. But um, we feel like Jonathan, like, you know, just kind of stepping out in faith and, and, and seeing what the Lord wants to do. And it's really, it's, it's been exciting. And it is exciting being a part of, of just the Lord's hand in this, in this dark, dark city. I remember... When I was in high school, I was probably 17 at the time. And I went to this missions conference in um, Southern California. And I like free things. I'm always, anybody a fan of free things? I like free things. And they're giving away posters. So that's free, I'll take it. So I took this poster, and I got home and I opened it up. And on this poster, there was a, pic, there was a, a kind of a um, collage of of faces, and it was basically faces from, from every major people group on the, on the planet. There were Indians, there were Africans, there were Asians, there were Arabs, there were Jews, there were Europeans. And below it, there are a couple of verses written out. And that's sort of what I wanted to share this morning, the couple of verses that were written on that poster. Because these couple of verses, they really, you know, they, they, they turn my life upside down. And I think that if we properly understand these verses... They have a, a capacity to, to utterly change our lives. You know, so there's the back door if you want to slip out real quick, if you don't want your life changed. But otherwise, you know, I, I think the Lord wants to speak to us. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. And I want to back up just a little bit before I actually get to verse 14. Romans chapter 10 is it's really a cool chapter. You know, we, we see the, the human side of Paul. You know, Paul's the, the great apostle to the Gentiles. And so often when we think about Paul, we see him as this, as this great evangelist, as this great ministry machine, this, this man who, who wrote half the New Testament. You know, this guy who, 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 who traveled the whole world and started churches. But in Romans 10, Paul, he really, he shares his heart. He lays his soul bare for all to read. I remember Paul, of course, was a Jew. 
And most of the Jews had rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Remember, Jesus, he didn't really fit that that image that they were looking for. The Jews at the time, they were, they were looking for someone to overthrow Rome. They were looking for that, for that warrior king. They were looking for that, that reincarnation of King David. They were looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah, not the lamb of God who was to be slain. And so they had this misconception about the Messiah. And Paul, in chapter 9, he's saying how he wished that he could go to hell and his people could be saved. And, and verse 10, in the first verse, he says he has, this, he has this longing in his heart for his people. His heart desires that his countrymen would, would come to know the God who created them. And in verse 2 and 3, he starts talking a little bit about, about self-righteousness, about how the Jewish people were trying to please God in their own efforts, that they were trying to reach God, trying to attain righteousness by, by being good enough, by being holy enough. And I like how the New Living Translations puts it. He says, and they cling to their own way of trying to get right with God. And then he goes on in the next few verses and he explains grace. He says, you know, basically, if, if you want to be saved, if you want a new life, if you want a fresh start, if you want to be a new creation in Christ, he says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. He talks about salvation, how it's this free gift. He talks about how it isn't this thing that we work for. It isn't a, a balancing act, you know, making sure that our, that our good outweighs our bad. He says, if you confess that Jesus is God, if you confess that he died for your sins so that you could be forgiven, if you believe in him, you'll be saved. You know, and that's, that's the core of the gospel. I and mean, those are the verses that we have our kids memorize when they go on mission trips. You know, that's the heart of the gospel, the, the heart of God. And Paul lays out how to be saved, how to be forgiven in those verses. And verse 13, he, he, he summarizes it. He gives the gospel again in a nutshell. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In essence, he says, everyone who believes, everyone who confesses, everyone who repents, everyone who surrenders their life to the Lord, if they call out to God, they'll be saved. They'll be set free from the bondage of sin. And that's a beautiful verse. For all of us who have heard it and believed it, all of us who have called on the name of the Lord, all of us who have been saved. Because that's where we were. We, we had reached the bottom. We had realized our, our desperate need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we called out to him, and he, and he saved us, and he forgave us. He washed us clean. But, Paul says, verse 14, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time tonight. But, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So Paul, he really asks four questions in these couple of verses. And that's the heart of what we're going to look at this evening. These four questions that Paul is asking each one of us. First, he says this. How can they, the lost, unbelieving world, how can they call in the name of Jesus unless they first believe in him? And that's really more of a, more of a statement than a question. But Paul, he, he's making a point kind of leading up to the next three questions. And what he says is this. 
Unless people believe in Jesus Christ, they're lost. Unless people put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they stand condemned in their sins. John 14, 6, we all know that. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Paul lays out this rhetorical question to to get to the next one, to get to the heart of the matter. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Paul has just laid out this, this beautiful gospel presentation. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, trust Jesus. He says, but if a person has never heard of Jesus, how can they call in the name of the Lord? If a person has never heard of Jesus, how can they believe? In essence, Paul's saying this, we have the answer. He's speaking to the church, to Christians. We have the gospel message. We know the truth. You know, when we talk about evangelism, how no one can enter into the heaven, enter into heaven except through Jesus Christ. You know, we, we know the verse that says he's the way, the truth, and the life. But Paul says they don't know it. The lost, the unbelievers, they don't know it. They've never heard of Jesus Christ. And to us, that sounds absurd, not knowing who Jesus is. I mean, look at our culture. Christian TV, you know, these giant crusades, people knocking on our doors, tracks, bumper stickers, radio, all that. How could someone not know the name of Jesus Christ? But here's the reality. We really don't know much about the rest of the world. You know, we might be able to identify the major continents and point out Russia and China and India might know a few facts, but we don't know a lot about the rest of the world. You may have heard of the 1040 window. How many of you guys have heard of that, the 1040 window? A few of you guys. The 1040 window is a region between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator between Africa and China. And that's a huge section of land if you look at the, if you look at the globe. But in this area, the 1040 window, there's an estimated 2.7 billion people. 2.7 billion people. That's about half the Earth's population. I and mean, we can't even begin to imagine what a huge number that is. China's in there. China's the world's largest nation with 1.3 billion people. India, the second largest nation, with 1.1 billion people. Indonesia's just sort of outside of that, but they're, but they're sort of the same situation. And they're the fourth largest nation with, with 231 million people. Pakistan, the sixth largest nation, is in there with 169 million people. Bangladesh is in there. I didn't know Bangladesh was even in this list of the biggest nations. The seventh biggest nation with 161 million people. And so not only is a a huge chunk, half of the world's population there, but they're among the world's poorest. It's North Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia. And in these areas... Most people live on less than $500 U.S. a year. And I made more than that on a good day when I was framing houses. In a single day, I made more than these people make in a whole year. And not only are they poor, but they lack educational resources. They lack medical resources. And they have very few Christian resources. You know, we as Americans, you know, we don't just have a Bible. And we have countless translations of the Bible. I was counting on my, um, my PC study Bible. 
And I, I have the, the good version, you know. And I was counting it up, and I have 28 versions. 28 translations of the Bible. I go to my house. I bet you could find 25 Bibles in my house if I looked. You know, translations I don't really like that are up in the closet, you know. And, and we, we're just inundated with it. We have Christian radio stations, Christian TV stations. We have Bible colleges. We have Christian schools. We have schools of ministry. We have campus ministries. We have Christian camps. Most of the world isn't like that. That's not reality. This little Christian bubble that we live in, that's not reality. Most of the world doesn't have this, these vast Christian resources that we do. And in the majority of the, of the 1040 countries, it's against the law to be a believer. There's extreme persecution against believers. And here's another astounding fact. In this region, the 1040 window, there is an estimated... 5,823 unreached people groups. Think about that. There are almost 6,000 people groups, almost 6,000 separate individual cultures that have never been exposed to Jesus Christ in any meaningful way. And that isn't even counting people groups in the South Pacific and South America. That's just in this one region. You know, we love to say, you know, people come to us with their troubles. Oh, if you just believe in Jesus, if you just trust in Jesus, brother, what about those who have never heard? What about those to whom Jesus is a foreign word? It's not that they just don't believe. It's not that they just choose not to believe and choose not to go to church. It's not that they're choosing to sit home and watch football on Sundays. They've literally never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And in this day of technology, of resources, in this era of modern missions, you know, where, you know, according to, to whoever does these studies, we're 220 years into the modern missions movement. And there are still huge portions of the world where there's no local church. There's no gospel light. There's still no Bibles written into, into, into the local dialects. And Jesus in the gospel says, look, he says, the fields... They're white under the harvest. But you look out at those fields today and they're still unoccupied. There's a harvest, but there's no one to bring it in. There's people, they're, they're searching, they're looking, and there's no one to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And I wonder, how would the Lord grade the church today? Not, not this church, but, you know, the, the church on the whole. How would he grade us? How would he grade me? How would he grade you? So Paul asks, you know, what are we going to do about them? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And that leads to the next question. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How are they ever going to hear the truth of the gospel unless someone goes and tells them about it? And listen, this, this doesn't only apply to the 1040 window. This doesn't only apply to headhunters in Papua New Guinea. I and mean, this, this applies to your boss. This applies to your mom. This applies to your best friend. It applies to the people that you work with and go to school with. How will they hear? Unless someone tells them. In essence, Paul is saying this. 
How are the people around you going to hear the gospel unless you tell them? How are the people, not only on the other side of the world, but how are the people on the other side of the street going to hear the gospel if we don't go tell them? And people say, well, you know, I just don't know if I'm called to evangelize. Are you a Christian? How many of you guys are Christians? You're called to evangelize. Every one of you that has your hands raised, you're called to evangelize. You're called to share your faith. You guys know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go. What does go mean? It means get out of here, right? You know, if my little boy's bugging me, I say go. What do I mean? I mean, get away from me. Go. Go to another place. Right? Get out, get out of your living room. Go and make disciples of every people group, of every nation. And he goes on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, And you'll be my witnesses, telling, me, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, you'll be my witnesses everywhere, in your hometowns, in the surrounding areas, in the next state, and on the other side of the world. God has called us to share the gospel. And he says, listen, there are people who are dying. And they're going to hell all around us. You know, and I, I think I've become more sensitive to that, more aware of that, because where I live, people literally are dying all around me all the time. But it's, it's still the reality. Whether, you're, whether people are dying of, of a 9 millimeter to the head or clogged arteries, they're still dying, right? Whether they die of old age or a grenade, they're still dying. And if they die without Jesus Christ, they're going to perish. They're going to go to hell. And as Christians, we don't have to go around the world to share the gospel. All we have to do is is leave our house. Remember the Lord says in Hosea chapter 4, He says, my people perish for what? For a lack of knowledge. He says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Remember Paul in Acts 16. He receives what people call the Macedonian call. The Lord gives Paul this vision. And in this vision, this guy from Macedonia, he says, Paul, listen, we're ready, we're waiting. We, come teach us, Paul. Come, come share the gospel with us. People are waiting for us. People are waiting for me. People are waiting for you to share the gospel. And later on, remember, Paul's going into Corinth. He just left Athens. And remember, he's up there on Mars Hill, and basically they boot him out of the place, and he left. And he's off to Corinth. And he doesn't want to go. You know, Corinth is a wild city. It's immoral. You know, he says, you know what? They, already, they rejected me here. They're certainly going to reject me in, in Corinth. Why bother? Why waste my time? And the Lord gives Paul another vision. He says, Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in Corinth. Was there a church in Corinth at that time? No. Not at that point. But, The Lord had been working in the hearts of the people there. The Lord had been preparing the people there in Corinth to receive the gospel just as he was preparing Paul to go and share the gospel. And I wonder how many people in our lives, how many people in our spheres of influence, how many people around us is the Lord working on their hearts, preparing them? And they're just waiting for us. The the harvest is ready. It's ready to be brought into the barn. And we just have to go collect it. 
people are literally dying waiting to hear the gospel. And you know what the truth is? For the most part, we don't care. Not really. Because if we did care, you know what we'd do? Something. Anything. Right? We'd do something about it. Most of us don't care that people are dying and go to hell. We don't care that our loved ones are perishing without Jesus Christ. We don't care that half the world is without any real meaningful Christian influence. Because if we did, we'd get involved. We'd do something. We'd make sure that at least the people around us know the gospel. I think of Paul as he was chained to those prison guards. I guarantee that every one of those prison guards that Paul was chained to, they left knowing the gospel. You know, everyone that Paul came into contact with, they knew the power of the gospel. And listen, it isn't our job to save anyone. We can't save anyone. But it is our job to make sure that everyone knows who the Savior is. It's our job to make the introduction. And that leads to Paul's last question. And how will anyone go without being sent? God has called every one of us to be evangelizers. He's called every one of us to be lovers of people. He's called every one of us to share the hope that's within us. But he isn't calling every one of us to run off to Zimbabwe or to Bora Bora. He's not calling every one of us to run off on a foreign mission field. He might be. He might be calling you. I don't know. He might be leading you to serve him somewhere else. He might be leading you to do something crazy for his name. But if, even, if he, even if he isn't calling you to Africa or to Italy or to Thailand, it doesn't mean that you can't be involved in, in missions and, and reaching the world with the gospel. You know, look at the Air Force. You know, whenever you think, you know, aim high Air Force. And what do they have the picture of? The F-16 with the pilot in it, right? And that's what we think about. But for every F-16 with a pilot, there's engineers, there's ground crew, there's mechanics, there's maintenance, there's munitions people. It takes other people to be involved. Look at IndyCar racing, the same thing. You have one driver. This is Southern or- Central Oregon. You guys like IndyCar, right? I'm from Seattle, so I'm not really into that, but this seems like the region, so I thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> anyway, you know, IndyCar, you, know, you have pit crews, you have people washing the windshield, people giving them something to drink in there, you know. And, and it, it takes not just one person, but, a, but, a, but a, a group to get the job done. And missions is no different, you know. There's missionaries all over the world. And a lot of times we hear about the missionaries in, in Africa and in Russia and in China. And we kind of picture them all by themselves out there. But you know what? They have a support staff. They have a, a mission team. They have people who pray for them. And by prayer, I don't mean, oh, Lord, bless Bobby in Mongolia. You know, and, but people who, who, who consistently, regularly pray for their needs, who seek the Lord on their behalf. You know, and missions cost money. And obviously, I don't need to go into that much. Whether you're going on a long-term trip, whether you're going to Mexico for a week, whatever. Plane tickets, living expenses, doctor bills, cars, things cost. You know, and as Christians, we can support missionaries. We can support missions organizations. We can give extra to the church missions fund, whatever it is. But here's the heart of the matter. As Christians, every one of us, we're called either to go or to send. Maybe it's sin now, go later. Maybe it's go now, sin later. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. And you don't know who to pray for. 
Yeah, look in the Calvary magazine. There's a there's hundred missionaries back there who would love to have you praying for them. And I can't tell you what an encouragement it is as a missionary just to get a word of encouragement from somebody out of the blue. You know, I, there's been a number of times when I've just, I've been depressed, you know, I've been upset, I've been whatever, and all of a sudden an email comes to me and says, hey, I read about you in the mission magazine, I'm praying for you. I said, wow, you know, the Lord, He has people praying, that they, I don't even know when they're praying for me. You know, and, and just knowing that there's people out there who are supporting you. But here's the bottom line. People are dying all around us. People are perishing. Jesus Christ came to this world to die, to save the lost, to save sinners. And how can we claim to be his followers if we don't do the same, if we don't proclaim his name? Scripture says that Jesus loved us so much that he came and died for us. I love Jesus so much I play Halo all the time. You know, we adore Jesus so much, we watch TV all night and never open our Bibles. We care about the lost so much that we can't even remember the last time that we shared our faith, or that we prayed for a missionary, or we supported some work that the Lord is doing. Am I up here trying to make you feel guilty for not serving the Lord? Yes, I am. If you're not, Guilt isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit touching our hearts, reminding us that something's amiss. Paul closes the section. He says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Think about that. How cool is it that you and I, that we get to be involved in the work of God. Think about that. God, the creator of, of the heavens and the earth. And I, today, I just drove down from Seattle today. And um, we decided to take the scenic route. So I took my son, and instead of just driving down I-5 like a normal person, you know, cutting over, we took Chinook Pass, the 410. And it was amazing being up there on Mount Rainier and seeing the streams and the lakes. And never mind, I went to Yakima and took a wrong turn and ended up in Umatilla and had to come all the way back around. But, but you're just seeing the, the, the majesty of God. And he chooses to use us to accomplish his will. You know what? I know myself. And I don't know why he chooses to use me. I'm an idiot. I'm a wretch. But for whatever reason, he chooses to use us. And it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of what the Lord is doing. And you know what? Missions is hard sometimes. Ministry is hard sometimes. Dealing with people is hard sometimes. Talk to your pastor. I'm sure dealing with you is hard sometimes. But you know what? It might be hard, but man, it's worth it. It's exciting being a part of what the Lord is doing in the world today. And I tell you, there's nothing else that I would rather do. I don't have any regrets. Where else can a high school dropout construction worker with a squeaky voice impact all of eternity? Just encourage you guys. Just surrender. Whatever it is the Lord's calling you to do. Maybe the Lord's been prompting your heart to, to just 
So share the gospel with your boss or to do something for your neighbor or to move to Uganda or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, submit to God. And, and I guarantee he'll do amazing things in your life and you'll never regret it. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. And I, I thank you just for the opportunity to come and just, just to fellowship with these believers here in Oregon, Lord. And I pray that you would just impress the, the truth of your word into our hearts, Lord, and you would, you would guide our lives, Lord. And not only, would you just, not only would you direct us, but you'd give us the courage and the wisdom to, to follow through with the things that you show us, Lord. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.